Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast, hosted by Brian Bisking. Brian started this weekly podcast to give a voice to leaders of our community, to share their story, their journey, and the lessons that they have learned along the way. Brian grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis, where he watched his father run a small business and was always interested in how the leaders in his community got where they are. Whether it's a local business leader, a philanthropist, or a celebrity, these are your STL leaders. Join us today, where we will chat with another pillar of our community on this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. And now, your host, Brian Bisking. Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bisking. And on this week's episode, we welcome Roberta Moore to the show. But before we get to this week's episode, I want to thank my sponsors. First, NWO IT Services, Synchrony HR, Go Brand Go, Enterprise Bank and Trust, The Tom James Company, and Edward Jones. And now to this week's episode with Roberta Moore. Roberta Moore, welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast. I appreciate you joining me today. Thank you for having me, Brian. I'm honored to be here. Absolutely. Well, we met actually, uh, well, I heard you speak years ago at an EO, um, uh, uh, I guess it was a conference, so to speak. And then we reconnected through the ACG here in St. Louis. And I really enjoyed your talk uh, several years ago at EO. And so I wanted to kind of bring you on the show and, and share with our uh, listeners in the St. Louis community kind of your path and what you do here for uh, businesses in St. Louis. And so let's kind of start there. Why don't you talk to me about growing up and what your path was to doing what you do now? Thanks. Well, Brian, it was it was not maybe a normal or let's say conventional. It was not a conventional path by any means. Uh, growing up, I think I was a daddy's girl very, very influenced by my father. My mother did not work, but my father did. And he was a CFO at a privately held company. Um, at the time, it made something called Banker's Box, uh, actually called Fellows Manufacturing, which has now gone public. But he used to take me to work with him sometimes. Not that he went in on very many Saturdays, but occasionally, if he did go in on a Saturday, he would take me with him. And the people that would be there would call me daddy's little accountant. <laughs> so even though when my father had said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I had said, I want to be a psychologist. I ended up when I got to uh, university studying accounting and studying business and started out my career in internal audit uh, at what was then Monsanto company and then got my sat and passed the CPA exam and then started out in public accounting. And then um, also uh, just to keep continuing, I was, I don't know if I was on the wrong path. I, you learn something from everything you do, right? Yep. Then I continued on by getting a master's in taxation. And along the way, uh, decided, you know, people told me, Roberta, 
when I get my reviews in the public accounting firms, they'd say, Roberta, you are not behaving like a typical accountant. And I'd say, well, why not? What's wrong? And they said, you look too happy. <laughs> and I heard this from more than one firm. They said, would you please tone it down, not smile so much, put your head down and look serious like you're doing the work. And my, my answer to that, Brian, was to ask to do business development which I, I, at the time I was good at networking. And at that time they didn't have people dedicated only to business development. You had to be chargeable and gotcha. do business development at the same time. And that, as you might imagine, was next to impossible. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, especially coming from somebody who does business development now, I, I don't know how you could do to do both and manage both. Right. So, and what I noticed was I liked that so much better that, that when I'd sit down to take the client's um, tax client's information, I, I much more enjoyed talking to people and finding out about their lives and, you know, money issues or what have you. And so when I got married and my husband, we were in St. Louis at the time, my husband had a great job opportunity out in the South in South Carolina and we got to Columbia. This was a long time ago, so I'm sure it's very different. I only found two female CPAs in the whole town, and they didn't have networks for women. So my husband said, why don't you just pursue your psychology degree like you've always wanted to do? Because I didn't want to be, you know, one of three women in the whole town of Columbia in public accounting, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. So talk to us about how you transitioned into your current organization. So that's it. Thank you for asking. So I got my degree in marriage and family therapy, and basically that's a degree in systems theory. So systems theory says it is if one person in a family is having an issue, then everybody in the family is having an issue because everybody's affected by that. So if you translate that to a business organization, Brian, we could say if a leader is having an issue or even just a person on the team is having some kind of a behavioral issue or an upset, everyone on that team, everyone in the organization could be affected. Yeah. So I started out, I started out after I graduated only doing psychotherapy. However, I attracted a lot of people who were professionals. So I think it was one day when, uh, uh, he wasn't a bank president, but he was very high up in, the, in a particular uh, well-known bank, came to me for help with his daughter. And I talked to him on more than one occasion. And I talked to the daughter and I realized, ah, this person's struggling with communication, not only at home, but also at work. And then my business brain got activated again. And I said, we are holistic human beings. You can't you know how some people will say I behave differently at home than I do at work? That's not good for us. I right. mean, we have to have a business persona. I'm not saying you should act the same way at work that you do with your loved ones at home. But, but if you've got good, strong communication skills, you want to use those at work as well as at home so you feel like a seamless human being. And that's why I launched EQ Coach out of Conscious Choices Corporation. And I have to keep it sep separate because I still have a a license as a marriage and family therapist, but EQ, I coach grew out of that. I wanted to find a way, how could I bring therapy into the workplace 
without there being a stig stigma and for it to be ethical, you know, because we have these things called HIPAA compliance and you can't exactly do that, right? So right. I found emotional intelligence was, I thought, a great vehicle for that. Absolutely. Well, talk to us about what is uh, emotional intelligence and what is EQ and really what is its effect in the workplace today? All right. So here's my, there are various definitions of EQ and, and you'll find different researchers out there. The one that I'm certified in was started by a Dr. Ruben Baran and a Dr. Steven Stein. So their model has 16 different EQ skills in it, which makes it different. And it's very scientifically robust and, and scientifically valid. So after studying that, here's my personal definition of EQ. It's using your emotions in a positive way to help motivate yourself and others as a if you're a leader in the workplace. So if you were to think of a card deck, Brian, and pretend that each card in the deck of cards is a different emotion. And let's say you're in some kind of intense negotiation or something, and it's really important that you stay calm. Instead of that card deck playing you, and you maybe being triggered by anger or impulse, lack of impulse control and saying something you regret later, imagine you're able to take your time and shuffle that card deck. Like the cards aren't just flying out playing you, you're shuffling that card deck and you very intentionally and, and methodically pick which emotion you wanna play at a given time uh, to help you move forward. Got it. I, yeah, that, so I, I find it interesting because um, it's, it's, so, it's in every workplace, I bet. Yes, it is. And you know, it's getting, EQ is not just the flavor of the month anymore. Right. The research for EQ has been going on consistently and steadily since the 1980s. It started at, at Yale and has continued and it's been well-researched. And here's what most people don't realize, you know, because historically we've, as a culture and businesses have done this, proliferated this, they've focused on IQ. Yeah. And yes, you have to have a, enough IQ to get your foot in the door. Like, like I have a lot of clients who are in cybersecurity. So they have to have certain certifications to work in that field. So they have to have a certain level of IQ or they won't be able to um, pass those certifications so they can get that job in the first place. But then I work with them um, to help them use their emotions in a constructive way so they know how to collaborate with the other people on their team. So they know how to be more assertive and ask for what they need or what they want. And a lot of times they'll tell me, Roberta, I don't have good interpersonal skills because that isn't something I focused on growing. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but so it, for advancement, those that get promoted um, are those with higher EQ. And here's my point. It adds to profitability. CEOs who are highest in these three skills, I remember them as ACE. So think of ACE, the hardware store. Yep. A is for assertiveness. C is for confidence. E is for empathy. CEOs who, are, who score very high and very well balanced in, no, in those three skills add 127% more to the company's bottom line. Wow. So that's a huge impact, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a huge impact. Well, let me ask you this. How, like, as, 
as individuals, how do we um, understand, better understand emotional intelligence and how we, and how does it really affect our everyday life? Okay. So let me see. Let me give an example. Today's Valentine's day. Yes. <laughs> All right. So if you, if you have a family, most people have some type of family, whether it's the family they grew up in or the family they created, um, you might want to use the EQ skill today of empathy. Empathy would be to extend yourself with kindness to those people you love, because today is supposed to be the celebration of uh, love, which has gotten expanded now even to mean friendship love. Yeah. Uh, I even saw posts on LinkedIn today uh, in the workplace for Valentine's Day type of, you know, appropriate, you know, coworker respect type of love because there's all different types of love. So empathy is the skill of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, seeing things from their point of view. You don't have to agree with their point of view. It's just that you'd be able to say, hey, knowing you the way I know you, I understand where you'd be coming from today. And if today you need more time to get to work because maybe you had a, uh, somebody at home was sick and you need a little more time uh, getting on today's Zoom call, I, I understand. Take the time you need, take good care of yourself. And then when you get to our Zoom call, you're, you know, you're going to be 100% uh, present. Yeah. Or if, it's, or if you're the one with the sick child at home, you want to be empathetic to the child who's sick. You want to be empathetic if you have a partner or a spouse that they're dealing with those things too. So it's seamless. EQ is seamless. It, it, and, and, the, and the thing that makes EQ different, Brian, is it is not a personality trait. So people have heard of Myers-Briggs or they've heard of DISC, just to use a couple of examples. In those assessment tools and models, people are born with the skills or, or traits, not skills, traits, or they're not born with the traits. And personality seems to stay, kind of your course seems to stay similar over time. It doesn't change dramatically. So EQ, if you will, is more like the income statement, not the balance sheet. It could go wildly up and down, depending on the external circumstances you're in and whether or not you are choosing to use those skills. Yeah. So those skills can be learned and developed at any age by anyone at any time. And that's really important to know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, to your point about empathy, I think, I think all of us could uh, be a little more empathetic at these days <laughs> with mm -hmm. everything going on in the world. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me about COVID. Uh, obviously we, uh, you know, I, every time I ask this question, I think sometimes I think we're starting to kind of see, um, things subside a little bit, but then it ramps right back up. So who knows where we're at, but how did COVID impact your business? And because, you know, to, to your point about empathy, um, there was a lot of empathy that really needed, that was needed over the last couple of years. Yes, there was a lot of empathy and not only then, but it's still needed now. Right. Because I don't know that we're totally past COVID yet. Um, so I could, I would have a lot to say about this topic, one thing that I noticed is that I had engagements last year that were shorter in nature, but like more frequent and more intense. So I had um, several clients from the healthcare industry, whereas prior to COVID, I wasn't working as much in the healthcare industry. I was primarily working with financial services and financial institutions 
and that was by intention. I was focusing there, but it may be out of necessity. Healthcare companies approached me because they had people, as you can imagine, that were stressed to the maximum, dealing with the kind of things you deal with during COVID. So now I have more MDs in my practice. I have more nurses and, um, and people in senior leadership in healthcare companies, and they needed what we call short bursts, but more, so more frequent meetings between me and them. Uh, and we worked more intensely to try to get more traction in a shorter amount of time, kind of like to gear somebody up. And, and pre-COVID, Brian, some, maybe people didn't mm, see the need or understand the reason for frequency and sure. the reason for intense uh, roll up your sleeves, let's hurry up and get to it type of work. I think they felt like they had more time, yeah. you know, but, but COVID collapsed time and brought things up front and center that I guess we, you know, some people didn't realize before COVID. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And now for a quick break, we bring in our sponsor, Enterprise Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Enterprise Bank and Trust knows that every business and every person is unique. That's why they get to know you in a way that the large financial institutions don't. They are our banking partner here at the STL Leaders, and I highly recommend that you check them out. To learn more, visit enterprisebank.com. And now, back to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. Let's shift gears here a little bit and talk a little bit more about leadership and your views on leadership. So, to help me understand, how do you help organizations and their leaders succeed? So I, I have several services that I offer. Um, I offer my favorite, my Cadillac, I guess you could say, is to offer the EQI 2.0 as an assessment tool. And I think it's probably just the easiest if I'm, I'm going to think of one client right now that I've been working with, and they've been affected by COVID, just to dovetail off that. And the work I'm doing with them has gotten postponed. Uh, I think now we're finally starting in March because they wanted to do things in person. That was very important to them. Although I've done a lot of webinars and, and pivoted and I was lucky, Brian. I already knew how to, I was already trained in virtual telehealth long before COVID started. And that, that actually was helpful to me because then when everyone pivoted to virtual it wasn't as stressful for me because I had already had specific training and how do you get good results over virtual? And anyway, this, this company want, came to me because, you know, the great resignation, they yeah. wanted to be able to better retain their employees uh, at, at even lower levels. So for this organization, I'm going to be working with their mid-level managers because they after interviewing them. So I conducted several interviews to try to determine which of the EQ skills, if we work on together in workshops, uh, will help them move the needle the most to be able to retain the employees. Because as you know, I'm sure, uh, leaders have a direct effect on employee engagement, employee motivation, Yes, of course, some of it is up to the individual employee in question. They have a piece in the puzzle, but so does the leader. Um, leaders have the potential to sway people's emotions to the positive or the negative. 
So in this company, we're trying to help them um, to do that. And it was very interesting because Dr. Steven Stein, who right now owns this EQI 2.0 model that I use, his company is called MHS Incorporated. He and his company have done studies where they go in and they take the star performers. Those are the people who score the highest in EQ. And then they do some type of regression analysis and it's statistical to figure out what are the top EQ skills that correlate with their star performers so that that's what we could say is needed in that company's culture that would, that would, that would uh, map to that company's competency model for success at that company. And then you can use that, Brian, for selection. You can run the EQI 2.0 to see how people score on that. Um, you you want to be careful that, that that's not the only criteria. It's just one of the criteria. Sure. So so for this company, we we figured out it was the five that correlate to customer service, which I find very interesting, will also correlate to employee retention. So I will be delivering over a six-month time period once we get started in March, a keynote, which is which is to explain it, it's a it's an expanded version of what you saw at EOYPO on that day. And then some people who want to will take the EQI 2.0. So they'll be able to have a metric, a number to see exactly how they score and correlate um, by self-report vis-a-vis a a norm size of 4,000 other professionals of all ages. And then I'm going to be doing uh, exercises. They'll use my book for homework. And then we'll, we'll, we'll meet six more times in person and I'll have them be, I'll have them do experiential exercises on the spot uh, because as you probably know, Brian, behavioral change takes time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what would, what would you tell an aspire? excuse me, what would you tell an aspiring leader who is trying to, you know, reach their full potential on their leadership goals? What would, what would be something you could share with them? Well, of course, I would suggest that they take the EQI 2.0 and get debriefed <laughs> to see where their baseline is or their starting point. And let's say they don't wish to do that. Let's say they say, no, I, you know, I'm not interested. Then I would probably ask them a lot of questions to see what level of emotional self-awareness they feel that they have. Do they feel that they have a, a high level of emotional self-awareness, which is defined as I know what I'm feeling in the moment that I'm feeling it. And I could put a label on it. One of my clients the other day said, Roberta, if I can name what I'm feeling, then I have a clearer understanding of what action I need to take. So like, that's the True. perfect, yeah. that was a perfect client response to that. Yeah. But then if they have, if that person has low emotional self-awareness, you'd really want to work on that. And as well as I'd assess their self-regard because that's foundational to building all the other skills in the workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, when I'm listening to you talk, all this kind of, um, and this correlates to my next question for you, all correlates to the company culture, right? Company culture is so important today. Um, I talk to my clients about company culture all the time. You can have a very profitable organization, um, but if you have terrible company culture, you're going to see your profit go down real quick because you're going to have a lot of turnover and people aren't going to want to come work for you or stay working for you because it's just not a good place, a good place to work. And I believe the company culture can really correlate um, directly with your profit uh, of an, and your revenues of an organization. So 
My question is, what are various ways leaders can impact the culture of an organization? So let me just thank you. You While you were talking, I was thinking of, um, so sometimes clients hire me, Brian. Sometimes it's the company, like the HR department could be the CEO or the COO. And they say, we have a person on a PIP. By the way, that's not my favorite. I wish it's so much <laughs> yeah. better when they say we have a high potential and we want to help them get yep. to the next level. So sometimes I'm hired that way, but sometimes I'm just hired by individuals who work at a company and they know that they've got, that they need to develop some skills to take them to the higher level. And so I'm thinking of a few people right now, as I was listening to you from a certain company, and right now these people are burned out. So they feel, and from what they've told me, if they're telling me accurately, I would agree with them. I'll start with what a bad leader is and then work into what the good leader is. Yeah. Right now they have bad leaders because the company, I don't know why they're not funding uh, more headcount on the team, but they don't say they can't find people. They tell my clients, we don't have the funding to get more team members. And my clients are high achievers and they have high empathy skills. And so they'll go way out of their way to help other people on the team that are struggling with a certain technical project or skill. And then they end up then they end up working late, they end up working overtime, they might end up working on the weekend. And then what happens, what's happened to these people is the, the leader noticed that they were going above and beyond. And the leader got in the habit of thinking these people will always do that and that they don't need a break. And then just started assigning them more than some of the other people on the team because they knew these, they knew this, well, these people will get it done, right? So I'll right. give the projects to them. And then I started uh, suggesting that they need to have a meeting with their boss and they need to say, hey, I need to let you know I'm starting to feel burnt out. I'm, I'm not excited like I used to be in the morning to go to work. I, I need some kind of a break. Can you, can you offload some of the things on my project to-do list to some of the other members of the team? And then they were, they were told, no, we can't. No, there isn't anybody with your skill set. You, you have the highest skill set. You have to do this. Uh, long story short, these two people will be announcing tomorrow to their leaders that they're, they're leaving. They yeah. found employment in another uh, organization. Yeah. So that's maybe what a bad leader does. If, those, if the leader had been a better leader, uh, um, a more empathetic leader, a higher EQ leader, they would have say, said, I hear you. I don't want you to burn out. Right. We're going to find a way around this, even if I have to do the project myself. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or we'll, you know, we'll we'll find funding from another area. I'll go to I'll go to the next level to um, advocate for funding. So yeah, we, because now the now the that poor that organization is going to be in a real hard spot because they're going to lose two uh, you know two individuals who posed a great skill set and sounds like great leadership um, skill sets as well. And to, to our earlier point, that can not only impact the organization and the profit, but also the culture of the organization, because I'm assuming there's other employees that look up to these two individuals as well. Yes, these two, and to these two people's credit, they're amazing people. I love working with them. They were very concerned about leaving. They almost were putting their own well-being on the back burner because they were worried about what was going to happen to their team members. Yeah. 
I could see when that. When they're gone. So they actually, I guess, had, uh, uh, they did this on their own. They, they had one-on-ones <laughs> to let the other people know they were leaving. And of course, the other people understood because they're unhappy too. Sure, sure, sure. Well, Roberta, I always end this podcast by asking my guests to leave us with a piece of advice. So as we look back on kind of this episode, um, you've given us a lot of tangible advice, actually. But if there's one piece of advice that kind of sticks out to you, whether that's on personal life or business, what could you share with us today? So I have an exercise that I've taught people to do. I'm actually going to be um, teaching it at Rise March 1st in the morning. And one of my clients who had to do, um, went through 70 pitches for venture venture capital funding, told me that uh, this exercise helped them more than anything else that we did together. Felt, this person felt like it was the best exercise. So what I asked them to do, and this is for self-regard, which is another word for confidence, is to get a set of index cards and on each index card, because you want to be able to flip the cards like it's a deck of cards. You're going to put one quality you have that you admire or feel good about. So it could be, I know I'm a really good speaker. I know I'm a really good uh, teacher. I know I'm good at motivating people. Um, You know, when I first started to do the exercise and I had, because I've done this myself and I had to build my own self-regard, I put down there, I was trained by really competent people. So I've had really good training because I had to kind of work my way into thinking that I was good at this. And then when you, you try to get five or 10 cards, I know this particular client I told you about has 30 plus cards. Now you take that card deck, you stand in front of a mirror You look at yourself in the mirror and you're going to say these out loud to yourself as you flip through the cards. And you have to sound, it can be awkward for some people at first, but you have to sound like you mean it. You have to sound enthusiastic because what this is going to do, Brian, is it's going to work on your conscious mind as well as your unconscious mind at the same time. It's like saying affirmations. But yeah. instead of those being woo-woo or considered woo-woo, we now have research from a guy named Dean Radin. You can find this research in his book called Real Magic as to why this really works and how it works on the brain's um, neuroplasticity. And if you were to do this exercise every day for 30 days, you might a person would be could be very surprised by the results. I, I had a client in the hospitality industry during COVID Uh, in Grenada. So that's an island in the Caribbean. And they lost, um, I don't know, like more than half the people coming to the resort because they could, nobody could go to the resort. And this person wanted to do speaking engagements to bring more people to the resort and to get the word out. And that person did this exercise. And I, he, he would um, show me how he was doing his public speaking on our zoom calls. The, the radical extreme difference I saw in about maybe it was three months, two or three months at the most, he did this exercise every day. Unbelievable, unbelievable wow. change in his speaking skills because he became very, very confident. Sure. Well, that's awesome. Well, that's great advice. And I appreciate you sharing with that today. And I appreciate all your knowledge you've shared with us today on this episode. So on behalf of myself and the STL Leaders Podcast, I appreciate what you're doing for St. Louis. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate what you're doing too, because you're, you're um, getting the word out from everyone. <laughs>